Welcome to In the Oil Patch, presented by Shale Magazine, broadcasting today from Agreco Studios. Agreco, powering the Permian. In the Oil Patch is where, together, we explore topics that affect us all in oil, gas, business, and in your community. Every week, your host, Kim Bellotto, will visit with the movers and shakers in this fast-paced industry. You'll hear from industry experts, elected officials, and many more right here on In the Oil Patch. And welcome to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. I'm your host, Kim Bellotto, and today we have a great show lined up for you. We're going to have two guests on our show today. The first guest will be Fahad Nazar, who is the spokesperson for the Embassy of the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia in Washington, D.C., and will also be joined by Mike Howard, who is the CEO and president of Howard Energy. But first, let me tell you about the latest issue of Shell Magazine featuring Tom Pyle, who is the president of the Institute for Energy Research. It's an issue that you don't want to miss. For more information, go to shale, that's S-H-A-L-E-M-A-G.com, and learn all about Tom Pyle and his great organization, the Institute for Energy Research. And is this on your calendar already? Because it's an event you don't want to miss. It is our State of Energy Corpus Christi scheduled for September 22nd at the beautiful Omni Hotel in beautiful Corpus Christi, Texas. It is going to be a sold-out event, so be sure to get your tickets now or purchase the table. For more information, go to shalemagcom slash state of energy. And now it's time to welcome on our guest, Fahad Nauser, who is the spokesperson for the Embassy of the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia. Fahad, welcome to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. And thank you so much for having me on again. Well, I'm glad you came back because we spoke with you, David Blackman, my co-host and myself, a couple of weeks back discussing a little bit about the position that Kingdom of Saudi Arabia, you, you know, their position on what was happening at back when we caught up with you. There was a lot going on with prices, seemed to be a... Uh, if you will, a little war on the price of oil between different countries. And since that time, OPEC Plus has met. So I wanted to ask you, obviously, OPEC Plus did agree to hold the cuts in place. And we've had a little bit of information come out as far as some countries, you know, um, need to maybe tighten up the reins on what they're reporting. Give us your official opinion or position, if you will, on what happened in the meeting and how long do these cuts stay in place? Right. So I think I mentioned the last time I was on your show uh, that it appears that a strong consensus has emerged among both OPEC and OPEC Plus members alike that in order to stabilize global energy markets that have obviously been hit uh, and deeply impacted by the global COVID-19 pandemic, a uh, collective effort is needed whereby every single producer, no matter how small, has to do its share and then cut production. In the case of Saudi Arabia, we have gone well beyond our commitments of April 12th and cut an additional 1 million barrels a day of production. So that brings our total reductions to 4.8 million barrels a day. Um, as you know, this is more than the total production of many countries around the world. So when it comes to uh, regarding the meeting that took place earlier this month, obviously, as you said, it uh, not only did it extend the uh, April agreement, but I think it represented a turning point of sorts in the sense that some of the nations readily acknowledged that they were not in full compliance with the with their earlier cuts and that they made commitments to not just 
uh, comply well, with the April cuts, but that they would actually comp- compensate for uh, for the uh, for not fully complying with uh, with the earlier agreement. So I think this was an encouraging sign, and as you see, prices have more than doubled since April, and I think the market is uh, much more stable now than it was earlier in the year. Right. Well, and also, you know, it, it's starting to appear as though the United States, a couple of other countries, are uh, seeing a rise on COVID-19 again, which means what we believe, were, well, what we thought was going to happen, uh, that we would be returning to the skies, flying, traveling, uh, may not happen as quickly as once forecasted due to these recent spikes. Do you see that that comes into play again one more time with, you know, holding the cuts and continuing to recognize that until we, we um, you know, use up a lot of the uh, surplus that's out there, nothing really can change or we're back at square one? What is your opinion on that? Right. So we're doing everything we can to stabilize international energy markets, which have been hit very hard by COVID. So that's on one front. On another front, and I think I might have mentioned this last time as well. We are this year. We are the president of the G20 group, and so in our capacity as president, we held an extraordinary virtual summit back in March that focused the international community's attention on uh, ways to uh, to get the resources together to uh, to fund and to support. Uh, more vaccines and more diagnostics and more therapeutics to mitigate and to minimize the impact of uh, COVID. Uh, The kingdom by itself has also pledged $500 million to three different organizations working on diagnostics, therapeutics, and vaccines to try to minimize uh, and mitigate the impact of COVID on the global community. So we're working on two fronts. To be honest, it's a little difficult to predict where where things will go uh, with COVID. Obviously, some countries have seen uh, a reduction in cases. Some have seen a spike. Um, you know, it's, it's just difficult at this point to uh, to predict where things are are going. But you know, the kingdom is really, I think, doing everything it can to mitigate the impact of the pandemic on uh, multiple fronts. Earlier, I think there was a lot of forecasting that turned out to not be accurate. So I I can completely understand what you're saying. Can you give us an update on Saudi Arabia? How prevalent is COVID-19 there? And how is your country responding to it as well? Right. So the kingdom and our leadership determined very early on that COVID had the potential to be a pandemic, the likes of which we had not seen in a very long, long time. So we acted very quickly and we acted decisively. We closed our borders, we closed our schools and universities, we instituted a curfew in uh, most of our cities. We also even suspended visits to our holy sites in Mecca and Medina during the holy month of Ramadan a couple of months ago. And now just a couple of days ago, we also announced that the annual Hajj, which will take place in late July, will also be held in a very limited capacity. This is all to make sure that uh, we minimize the the spread of the disease globally, not just in the kingdom. But in the kingdom, as I said, we took many measures to make sure that the disease does not spread. We put healthcare institutions in in place, and we even offered free treatment to not just Saudi citizens, but non-Saudis as well, including those who are in the kingdom illegally. So uh, I think we have been 
very proactive, and we have been very successful in containing it uh, in the kingdom. But like I said, we are looking beyond the kingdom through our contributions to healthcare organizations and our leadership at the G20, and even by by uh, you know suspending the visits to our holy sites, which also had uh, global implications for sure. Great. Last question, Fahad. Moving forward, and and of course Saudi being the leader of G20, what is the forecast you guys see as far as when does energy rebound? I, I know you don't have a crystal ball, so no one's going to hold you to it. But what are what is y'all speculation of when we start seeing really light at the end of the tunnel for for the global international market? Uh, I really do think it's difficult because I think the um, you know the pandemic has put a tremendous strain on the global economy. The global energy sector uh, has been hard, possibly hardest hit than any other sector. I mean, people, it has hit, obviously, transportation has come to a standstill. People are not traveling internally inside countries. They're not traveling abroad. Uh, manufacturing has been, you know, negatively impacted. So I think a lot really does depend on how quickly the international community responds and you know, controls the spread of this pandemic. Obviously, ideally, we would like a vaccine. I think that's ultimate. That's the ultimate solution. Uh, I'm not sure how far or how close we are at this point, but uh, you know, the kingdom is doing everything we it can to um, to help us get to that point. But until then, you know, COVID has has uh, put a tremendous strain on the uh, on global energy markets. As I'm sure, as you know, the international Energy Agency um, issued an estimate a few months ago and saying that demand has um, been reduced by as much as 25% global demand. So that's that's a very serious reduction. But I think the OPEC Plus agreement will go a long way towards uh, stabilizing uh, markets, as it already has, as has been reflected in the prices. And so we're hopeful overall that things will stabilize sooner rather than later. Very good. Fahad, thank you so very much for joining us on the show and allowing us a few minutes of your time to to get us caught up on what's happening from the kingdom. Um, Thank you very much, and we look forward to having you back on the show. Thank you so much. Coming up after the break, we will be joined by Mike Howard, CEO of Howard Energy. You're listening to In the Oil Patch Radio Show, and we'll be right back. Remember this name, Oil Field Experts, to locate any part, any time for your automotive or oil field equipment needs. Oilfield Experts' specialty is those hard-to-find oilfield parts for your fleet maintenance needs, and we've been providing those parts and accessories to keep your tools turning since 1965. From the auto repair shop to the pump jack, call us for the right part right now. Write down this number, Oilfield Experts, 210-471-1923. Again, that's 210-471-1923, and visit us on the web at theoilfieldexperts.com. Farmers and ranchers are the hardest working people on earth and deserve a side-by-side vehicle that works just as hard. That's why Yamaha makes the Viking an all-new Viking 6, the world's first true three- and six-person UTVs assembled in America. Ranked number one in drivetrain durability, Viking outworks and outclasses the competition in features, comfort, and off-road capability. For more, visit YamahaViking.com. 
Most dependable claim based on a 2013 Yamaha Source side-by-side owner study. Hi folks, Alvin Bailey here. Did you know Agreco is proud to sponsor In the Oil Patch Radio Show? Agreco has served Texas oil fields for over 10 years, supporting producers with temporary power to get their product to market. When utility power is not available, Agreco is your reliable alternative. They service everything from pump jacks with a single 200 kilowatt unit to massive gas processing facilities requiring 50 megawatts or more. Agreco is your dedicated engineering partner for diesel and natural gas generators as well as battery power solutions. Call Agreco today at 1-800-AGRECO. That's 1-800-A-G-G-R-E-K-O. Plan your next meeting or event at Victoria College's Emerging Technology Complex, home to the -the state-of-the-art conference and education center, conveniently located between Houston and Corpus Christi. The center hosts meetings, educational workshops, and banquets for up to 300 people with the latest in technology amenities and ample parking. Let their professional meeting planners make your next event a success. For more information, go to conferenceinvictoria.com. Once again, that's conferenceinvictoria.com. And we're back. You're listening to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. David, now it's time to bring on our guest, and I'm very excited because he's in studio with us today. We are being joined by the CEO of Howard Energy, Mike Howard. Mike, welcome to our show today. Hi, Kim. Hi, David. We're so glad to have you back in studio. You know, I think we're all trying to... uh, put ourselves back together after being in quarantine for a couple of months. And it, it sure is nice to see people again and interact. I think that's a gift that we're all kind of born with. And so it's nice to see you again in studio, sir. Thank you. Nice to see you too. I, I've really missed human interaction. It seems like in the last three or four months. <laughs> I know. I'm like, please don't make me go back inside the house. So let's get started because there's, I'm excited to have you, David and I, we, we've talked a lot about how did the energy industry react to COVID-19, the pandemic, like everyone else, companies were not prepared. Uh, We've never been through something like this before. And so you're literally making things up as you go with the best information you have and, you know, things that are going on with the latest data you're getting from the government. And so Howard Energy, before we get started with how did you guys handle the pandemic and the decisions you were making, Briefly tell us a little bit about Howard Energy. How large is it? Where, where, where is Howard Energy? Give us some background on it. Thank you. We're, we're uh, 340 employees. We operate in four states, so Pennsylvania, Oklahoma, New Mexico, Texas. Then we also operate in Mexico, uh, the country of Mexico. So, wow, so that you're international as well. That's right. So we, when, when we're thinking about COVID, each state that we operate in and each country we operate in, there's different things going on. And then each municipality, each county uh, that we operate in has different requirements for our employees. So it's quite a lot to keep up with. So was it more like running five different companies, uh, one company, but five different ways of running that company, I think is what you're saying because of the different states. And then was there any international implications when you were having to look at? There was. Each each state is uh, handling things just a little bit differently on what they're requiring from lockdown um, or employees uh, not being able to travel. Uh, for instance, when the border shut down with Mexico, 
that was a, a big deal. Now, it never fully shut down for U.S. citizens, but a lot of our employees might hold a passport in Mexico, not the U.S., and are used to traveling back and forth for work. And, and there, was, there were some uh, differences there. Also, as we didn't know where this was going in March, and so if this was to be a more serious lockdown, if we had an incident in, say, Mexico, how could we respond uh, with our employees in the U.S. to do emergency response plans and, and that sort of thing? So learning what an essential business is, uh, uh, learning how to communicate with all the different regulatory agencies and things that we were uh, communicating with to make sure that we were you know, doing what we could to, to run our assets safely. And just to kind of give our listeners some, a reference point, because I don't know if we, if we covered it. So Howard Energy is, is a midstream company. So you're, you're basically operating in Mexico internationally through through pipeline, and that typically, obviously, they're underground, but how much of the staff is going back and forth, I'm not really sure on. So when you're talking about a pipeline going through uh, two different countries, it does affect you guys, but in what ways outside of just the employees going back, were there other things that you were having to consider besides that with the pipeline? Yeah, so right now there's two ways that we get natural gas and diesel into Mexico. One is through pipelines, which are underground, and we actually cross underneath the Rio Grande River uh, to supply natural gas to power plants. So we didn't. We actually seen an uptick in that business because Mexico is going through uh, some changes right now where they're actually reducing renewable energy and using more natural gas energy. And so that there's a whole different conversation there. But also on diesel, we saw a decline in volumes in Mexico. So the number of rail cars that we're sending down to um, to Mexico has actually declined. And so understanding the demand of the products, depending on what's going on at at the government level has been very interesting. Also, our export business in Port Arthur has seen a decline just because the world has not been traveling as much. They're not trading as much. Uh, diesel is, is on the decline uh, right now, but we're seeing a comeback now. But anyway, during February, March, April, it, it was very interesting to see how our reactions were to, to different demand aspects of the business. Let's bring it back locally. Were there any uh, specific states that you're operating in? We, we, we kind of know how Texas did, but were there any states specifically that had some very unusual guidelines that you had to abide by? You know, off the top of my head, no. Pennsylvania, being in the Northeast, was uh, is the one that, that we monitor pretty close. The thing that we go to there is, we, you know, being an essential business, we, we, we get to kind of operate uh, more normally, just following CDC guidelines and not paying attention as much to the lockdowns uh, there as, um, uh, as, as businesses that aren't essential. And so you guys are following the CDC and, and that's it. So there's not really any real oversight, just as a company, you guys are just following no, what... That's what's been confusing about this whole thing. I've been working with peers of other companies in town and out of town, and it's very confusing because there's no set guidelines. Uh, right. that there's, I mean, excuse me. We, we had guidelines. We were told, stay home. <laughs> that's exactly right? right. That's exactly right. So we right. knew what to do, but... That's right. And, but it, there's no, like, playbook. We were right. all having to write our own playbook here, and it's very confusing uh, depending on how much risk you're willing to take on really depended on your reaction of what you would do during the pandemic. And so it, it's, it's, it's been a uh, interesting, interesting exercise. Us, for instance, we have a COVID task force meets every two days. We're advised by uh, doctors, experts, uh, other peer companies, and, and following kind of what we think is the right thing to do for, for our employees. Excellent. Well, you almost sound 
uh, presidential, if you will, because the president also put together a task force. When we get back from break, I'm really excited to understand a little bit more about that task force and also understand how Howard Energy as a whole responded to COVID and get a little bit more into those details. You're listening to an oil patch radio show and we'll be right back. Are you a business owner feeling overwhelmed where to begin your business's online presence? Maybe you've spent thousands of dollars in the past just to be highly disappointed with the results. We understand because we were once you. Since then, we decided to hire the very best experts to help us and you. Let us send you our business profile that will quickly show you your Google business rankings in these five areas. Reputation, ratings online, website, advertising and social media and search engine optimization all of these areas really affect how google ranks your entire listing so if ranking on page one is your goal pick up the phone and call us now 210-240-7188 or simply go to shalemag.com slash business profile we'll be in contact with you within 24 hours once again pick up the phone and call us now 210-240-7188 or simply go to shalemag.com that's s-h-a-l-e-m-a-g.com slash business profile start dealing with a company you can trust and always find remember this name oil field experts to locate any part anytime for your automotive or oil field equipment needs oil field experts specialty is those hard to find oil field parts for your fleet maintenance needs and we've been providing those parts and accessories to keep your tools turning since 1965 from the auto repair shop to the pump jack call us for the right part right now Write down this number, Oil Field Experts, 210-471-1923. Again, that's 210-471-1923. And visit us on the web at theoilfieldexperts.com. And we're back. You're listening to In the Wall Patch Radio Show. I'm your host, Kim Bellotto, joined by my co-host, David Blackman. And we are being joined in studio by the CEO of Howard Energy, Mike Howard. Mike, before the break, we were uh, discussing that there really isn't a playbook that exists for COVID-19 and for energy companies, midstream companies, to understand how to respond to COVID. I don't think anybody knew what the heck they were doing. But you mentioned before the break, that you have a task force in place. Tell us about the task force. So the task force covers all aspects of our company. Uh, each area of the company is represented, whether it be legal, accounting, operations, engineering, to make sure that each group has a voice. And they get together every uh, two days or so, um, really twice a week. But to, And if anything comes up, they, they meet more often to take everybody's thoughts into uh, account. Even though we're an essential business, we really – are, are leaving it up to the employees to come up with uh, their best way to keep themselves safe. They're, we're taking personal responsibility. I don't think it's the company's responsibility to keep them safe, even though the company's providing personal protection equipment. The company has increased um, uh, sanitation. Uh, but what we really do is encourage employees to take care of, if you're sick, don't come to work. If you have fever, don't come to work. If you feel uncomfortable and you're in an immunocompromised uh, situation, don't come to work. If you have child care issues because school is let out, don't come to work. You know, there's, But we are working from home. We spent the money for IT equipment at people's houses. So even though we're coming to work right now, you can work from home 
and be able to, to, to hold both, that if the city of San Antonio shuts down again or for our corporate office, which is in San Antonio, or some other thing happens, we are seamless. As last time, it took a little bit of a transition. This time would be seamless where you can work from home or work from the office seamlessly. Excellent. Hey, Mike, you're talking about people working from home and, and not driving, not flying, you know, not moving around and uh, the economy being depressed uh, as we shut down our economy in, in, in response to this virus. It seems like America, one of the things that is an unintentional byproduct is America is getting kind of a preview of what life would look like under the Green New Deal. Don't you think that's really kind of the case here? It 100% is. I, I would call this welcome to the Green New Deal. Uh, there's nobody traveling by airplanes hardly. It's a very, very reduced amount. Trade throughout the world is at a significant low. The, the interesting is thing, CO2 has dropped in certain areas, but overall there's still electricity being produced. There are still uh, driving going on. There is still uh, ships uh, out there that, that, you know, we're all using energy. And when you look at that makeup of energy, it's still using 80% fossil fuels or more. And to, to, to say that we could switch to renewables under the green new deal is just very misleading. Um, that, that we, we can't afford to do that. Obviously uh, the cost of electricity and transportation and services would increase. And what the beautiful thing is during this economic recovery is we have the cheapest energy in the U.S., quite possibly in the world. It's abundant, it's reliable, it's low cost. And during an election cycle, why we're not talking more about that um, and hammering the Green New Deal uh, to say how expensive that would make the world, uh, or um, how expensive it would make energy for the world, and and really point to the pandemic and saying, do you really like life like this? <laughs> this is not the way yeah. to go. We like life uh, pre-pandemic and be able to move freely and be able to innovate freely. Well, you know, you bring up a good point that we're seeing a preview of it. And you also have, fortunately for us today, different areas that you're focusing on in the United States, one of them being Pennsylvania, that is way more regulated than Texas. And you have Texas assets here, too. Uh, my question would be, and we're going to go to break when we come back, I want to talk a little bit about is it, is it a higher price to do business in Pennsylvania because of those regulations and because it is an expense, more expensive to operate a business out there and energy cost than maybe somewhere here in Texas? And is that also part of what the Green New Deal is going to be? We're all now going to experience this. Um, is, is that going to be the case? There are a lot of things to consider if we start looking around. Are the models already there? And we're just not really focusing on what, we, what we're seeing. You're listening to In the Oil Patch Radio Show, and we'll be right back. I'm Tracy Bentley, the CEO President of the Permian Strategic Partnership, an alliance of 19 energy companies located in West Texas and Southeast New Mexico. For the first time in history, our companies have come together with one goal in mind, supporting our community. In 2019, our first full year of existence, we committed more than $30 million to support six major initiatives, built partnerships with dozens of community stakeholders, and helped secure an additional $1 billion in state and federal funding for roadway improvements in the Permian Basin. By partnering with local leaders, we will continue to work hard to make roads safer, improve schools, upgrade healthcare, increase affordable housing, and train the next generation of workers. Because we don't just work here, we live here. 
and neighbors are supposed to help each other out. For more information, go to permianpartnership.org, permianpartnership.org. And we're back. You're listening to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. Our guest today is Mike Howard, the CEO of Howard Energy. Mike, before the break, you were talking a little bit about the Green New Deal. We're already seeing a preview of what this would look like just on a greater global scale, which doesn't sound to be too appealing. And I don't think I've run into anybody that likes where we've been stuck in homes and our homes and all this other stuff we're going through, a high unemployment but you operate in different areas of the United States. Uh, one of them being Pennsylvania it tends to be a little bit more regulated in oil and gas. My question before the break was, you know, are you seeing higher area where you have to spend more to operate in that area? And I know, David, you had a little bit of a, of a question. Well, to yeah, and, and the regulatory problems in Pennsylvania now compounded by the uh, an activist attorney general who this week just sued Cabot Oil and Gas over a, a, a 2012 issue, I think, of uh, water pollution that has been disproven by the EPA half a dozen times. And I, I just, it, I mean, just comment on all of that kind of thing that goes on in, in that state uh, that we don't really see a lot of in Texas. Yeah, we're, we're, we're known as a, as a company that it, it takes, you know, obviously regulation uh, very serious, and, and we want to have good re- relationships with our regulators. But I'll tell you, laying pipeline in Pennsylvania is more time-consuming. It's more expensive. Operating there is more expensive uh, than uh, than more of a place like Texas. The Cabot thing scares us because there is a, that's a, from a 2012 EPA finding of not having any, fracking having no contamination of, of water that was proven, and they're bringing that back. And this is after a two-year grand jury that decided this, and that's really worrisome to us. And as you're looking at places to uh, produce oil and gas, the more regulatory hurdles and constraints, it's not going to help the citizens of Pennsylvania from all the benefits they get from oil and gas. Mm-hmm. Uh, it'll drive companies away from doing doing business there. And it drives more costs to the consumer there. 100%. Uh, their utility bills Absolutely. are higher. Everything is higher. Their food. Let's switch gear and talk about what we are seeing in the way of when we see states that are looking at energy as favorable like Texas, how affordable and reliable and abundant is energy right now in areas to, how important is that to have it to help businesses get back on their feet, Mike? What we're seeing in in Texas right now, before COVID even, we're seeing a, a lot of migration of businesses, whether in New York or California, coming to Texas. I've, I've known of private equity funds, hedge funds out of New York. I've also uh, many businesses out of California coming here. And why is that? One, we're a business-friendly environment. But two, we have low-cost, reliable energy uh, in Texas. And we appreciate that because of what it funds for all of our schools, on our citizens. It keeps our property taxes at a reasonable amount versus these other states where people are moving. They're changing their home addresses uh, to Texas. And why that doesn't resonate more with more states, I don't know. Uh, it's a it's a pretty good business model uh, that that we're successfully implementing here, and so it, it's surprising to me that that we don't get more uh, recognition for that. Hey, Mike. Uh, another thing we don't get much red recognition for, and I, I, it goes back to your 
discussion about the, the Green New Deal and the COVID-19 and all that and carbon emissions dropping. Uh, it, it's a little-known fact that, that in our country, in the United States, carbon emissions have been going down for over a decade now because natural gas has been displacing coal and power generation. Did you want to talk about that? Yeah, I wish, yeah, I wish politicians would talk about that more, and I think our Republican politicians could do a better job of combating the noise of this thought that we can switch to renewables or I would say a low carbon energy while at the same time they oppose nuclear power and oppose hydro things that change change their their local environment right I, I think Republicans need to hammer on that a little bit more to talk about what that would do there, there's no city state country or business that's a hundred percent renewable and I think that needs to be talked about, even though Microsoft or Google, they, they get a lot of press for saying they're 100% renewable, but look into what they're doing. They, they are buying power contracts to show that they're 100% renewable, but the only way they operate physically is because they have a backup power plan that is backed by, by fossil fuels. And that's just right. not talked about enough. And it's very, very frustrating that politicians don't jump up and down and, and, and talk about that fact. Well, you know, Mike, you were bringing up a, a point that, so we're in the San Antonio studio, and we are regulated. We have one utility company, uh, City Public Service, owned by the city of San Antonio. And they have really had a lot of initiatives to move into being multifaceted, if you will, with different energy sources, not just one. They've kind of also moved away from coal. But even with their desire to move into renewables, they still have really doubled down, tripled down, if you will, on natural gas too. So can you talk a little bit about what your thoughts were when, when CPS announced that? It kind of seemed like, wait, you're saying you're going renewable, but then you're doubling down, tripling down on, on natural gas. What's going on here? Yeah, so I, I think there's, there's a, a little bit of activism going on where they have to placate the activists, but at the same time, there's math and physics involved that they have to uh, actually produce power for people that want to, to use electricity. People in San Antonio, especially today, appreciate electricity because of air conditioning. <laughs> it's a 90-something degrees outside, you know. So we're, And pretty reasonable bills, too. <laughs> at very reasonable bills. Uh, when you look at places that attempted to placate those activists by moving and putting more investment in renewables, all it did was make their electricity more expensive and doing nothing to CO2 emissions. Right. It, it's not going to lower. Uh, Germany is always a great example to point to that since 2000, their electric bills have doubled, uh, but their CO2 has not gone down at all. So why did you spend all that money on renewables? And so, but it's hard to have that conversation because you get labeled as a climate denier. You get labeled and um, really hammered on if, um, if if you come out with facts that, that, are, that are out there. This is math. Uh, mm -hmm. this, is, this is not very difficult mm -hmm. to come up with. So it's <laughs> similar to BP recently. Uh, that, that's an interesting topic, looking at BP's announcement recently. Well, look, we're going to go to break. When we come back, I want to get on BP's announcement. I also want to talk about the rig count declining along with consumption as well. You're listening to the Oil Patch Radio Show, and we'll be right back. Psst. Hey, you. 
Do you want to join the fastest growing oil and gas network in Texas? Ma'am, I'm all for growing my business. So you've got my attention. What is it? TEAK is the Texas Energy Advocates Coalition. They hold business mixers to help businesses grow and network. Any cost to join? For the next 90 days, it's completely free. No charge to join. But they do want like-minded individuals to attend who are interested in growing their business and networking. Well, I want to join. Where should I go? Go to shalemag.com slash teak and click on the join link. Enter your information and we'll get you set up. Join the Texas Energy Advocates Coalition at shalemag.com slash teak today. Shale Oil and Gas Business Magazine provides services like print advertising and digital marketing. Our digital advertising services include website, email, radio, video, and social media. Shale also provides specialized web services from website management to search engine optimization and social media management. Visit our website, shalemag.com. Once again, that's shale, S-H-A-L-E, mag, M-A-G, dot com to learn more. Shale is your one-stop shop for growing your business. Pick up the phone today and call 210 210- 240-7188. Again, 210-240-7188. The Texas Alliance of Energy Producers has a rich and commanding history of fighting for the independent oil and gas industry. The Texas Alliance became a statewide organization in 2000 with the merger of two of the oldest oil and gas associations in the nation, the North Texas Oil and Gas Association and the West Central Texas Oil and Gas Association. Today, with more than 2,600 members, the Texas Alliance is the largest statewide association in the country country, serving independent energy producers and associated industries. Through our efforts in Washington, D.C. and Austin, the Texas Alliance is focused on a better business climate for you. The Texas Alliance has a staff consisting of highly experienced senior staff and supporting consultants serving our membership. Offices are located in Austin and Wichita Falls. Become a member today by visiting texasalliance.org or email us texasalliance at texasalliance.org. back. You're listening to in the Oil Patch Radio Show. Our guest today is Mike Howard, CEO of Howard Energy. Mike, before the break, and we had to go to a hard break, you were discussing an announcement from BP pertaining to energy. Tell us a little bit about the announcement. Yeah, so BP is writing off $17.5 billion investment, saying that the pandemic will accelerate the transition to renewables away from fossil fuels. And then you, you dig into that, that announcement, and you find out that BP is spending 3% of their capital budget, which is $500 million is significant, but 3% of their capital budget on renewables, and they claim to want to go carbon neutral by 2050 and get out of the fossil fuel business uh, by then. Uh, and that that sort of, and then they just get uh, awarded uh, by the environmental movement how great they are. Uh, and again, that goes to the placating activist versus what's the reality. And I think they understand the reality, but that's not what they put out publicly. And, you know, to comment on that, we just had that discussion, David and I, on last week's show. And I'm sorry, but if you have a 3%, it, it really does tell you where you're. <laughs> so, okay, we'll yeah. tell you what you want to hear. That doesn't necessarily mean that's what we're doing. Yeah, and I, I think, honestly, they're going to be surprised uh, years from now. And they're still producing more oil than they've been producing the last five or ten years. Because the reality is of COVID-19 is it's throwing all these countries into massive additional debt situations. And and renewables still have to be propped up by subsidies. So where's the money for all the, the new subsidies you would have to have 
to accelerate that renewable transition. Great point. I mean, yeah, it doesn't make any sense. But anyway, I wanted to, 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 to talk to you about a, a slightly different question. You know, we, we're in a situation here where we're not drilling wells now. The rig count's below 300, according to Drilling Info now. And, and co- companies are not replacing the decline curves, the steep decline curves, and mainly the shale production. How do you see that potentially impacting prices later in the year? Yeah, so while we're able to react quickly by the reduction in, in, in rigs that you saw, the industry is able to react very quickly to demand shocks that we, we saw. When the demand fell, we saw how the industry reacted. The issue is you can turn things off very easily in the oil and gas business. It's hard to turn them on. You have to actually physically bring people back. You have to bring equipment back. That equipment hasn't been serviced. It hasn't been uh, in, in use. And so... It's going to be very hard, but demand comes back immediately. People start, they get online, they can make a plane ticket uh, reservation, and they can go fly somewhere very quickly. And as it happens very quickly, demand comes back quickly. Well, then, as you said, the steep decline has to be offset then by new rigs coming on, new wells being fracked, that sort of thing. And, And there's a lag there that has the potential to bring prices back into an area that is uncomfortable, as we saw in April when prices were uh, going negative, or might have been April, uh, Mar- so March or April. I already forget. It feels like pandemic is really increasing time here. Uh, <laughs> we're forgetting our minds. <laughs> uh, but, <laughs> we already uh, forgot our calendars. Yeah, yeah. so we, we, we were at a negative uh, price. That same shock could happen on the other end. And I know a lot of people have a lot of good reasons why that, that probably shouldn't happen because of storage. Storage kind of equalizes that. But, but gosh, I, I don't know that the, the world and their models have understood the steep decline of shell wells and how you have to constantly be replacing your, your, your wells uh, with new wells. And by only having less than half the rigs available to you to do that, that's going to be very difficult. So we have a, as much potential to see increase oil and gas prices. And every expert I listen to is funny. Uh, no one looks at the track record of the experts predicting prices because they're 100% wrong. So even though I have an opinion, I will be 100% wrong as well. It's just how wrong are we are we going to be? <laughs> right. Well, you're certainly not a newbie. Uh, you know, one of the things we didn't talk about early in the show is how you're a past executive with Energy Transfer. You have many, many years in this industry. So you're definitely an expert in seeing history and how it's evolved in the energy industry. We've talked offline and you've kind of said, Kim, you know, we, we hit this pandemic and did the industry react appropriately? And is there learning lessons moving forward? Can you give as an executive some of the lessons learned? Is the energy industry prepared for another crisis? Is there things that they should be doing right now to prepare for? We're going to have another one. It's What is it? How is Howard Energy doing it? And, and, and what are your thoughts? I believe it's shown resilience in our industry. It's very painful for people that took out a lot of debt to conduct their business, and those businesses have gone bankrupt. I don't think that's different than any other business. It just happens to be talked about a lot more because uh, there's very few energy companies compared to other businesses in the U.S. So it's it's highlighted, I think, more. But it's shown the resilience. One, most majority of the companies are still in business. We've all had to cut back. There's been massive layoffs. There's been companies go bankrupt. But energy is still flowing every day. Mm-hmm. And we're, we're seeing a low-cost energy 
uh, low, I mean, if you've been to the gas pump recently, it's lower cost today than it's been in, in a while. Our electricity bills are cheaper. Natural gas is cheapest. As I saw Henry Hub last week was cheapest in 20 years. You know, so it, negative to our business, it is uh, because people want higher energy prices, obviously, for our, our business health and be able to service our debt and keep people employed and that sort of thing. From an economy standpoint, it's really good for an economy recovery standpoint to have low-cost, reliable, affordable uh, energy. And so that, that's the balance we're holding as, as energy executives. We reacted very uh, quickly, which, which is great. Uh, it's keeping energy prices down. But, gosh, it would be good to have higher energy prices so we could uh, – be able to stay in business longer. And, and I'll say that the people that take a long-term business approach, which Howard Energy is one of them, we think this is our ninth year in business. This is our birthday this month. And Happy birthday. <laughs> thank you. And in my 25 years of experience, I've seen so many of these downturns, and we always think it's the worst. It's always the end of the world. And we, we because the world is using more fossil fuels every year, it makes our business even more important. We're going to be around, but you have to conduct yourself like any business. You can't take on a lot of debt. You've got to understand there's going to be cycles, and you have to uh, produce in, uh, be able to produce your business in this kind of environment. So if you set your business up now during a pandemic, whenever things are going really good and prices are $100 a barrel, you're doing great, but always remember these times. Yes. And that's how, we, that's how I think about our business is always remember those bad 2014-15. Remember oh, yeah. that? Yes. You know? And we're all still around, so I guess we're doing something right, Mike. Right. <laughs> well, Mike, on behalf of David and I and in the Old Patch Radio Show, we want to thank you for stopping into the studio today and giving us your input on how the energy industry can re- react, how Howard Energy reacted to COVID-19. Thank you again. Thank you, and, and thank you for all the work that you guys do. Y'all do, y'all do a great job. Thank, thank you. In the Oil Patch is where, together, we explore topics that affect us all in oil, gas, business, and in your community. Every week, your host, Kim Bellotto, will visit with the movers and shakers in this fast-paced industry. You'll hear from industry experts, elected officials, and many more right here on In the Oil Patch.